0: And now, the moment you've all been waiting for. Welcome to Social Media White Noise. Yeah, I'm really sorry about that, Ted, but we've had complaints that the intro's too long.
1: Bugger. And we're on air. And we're doing our thing. Hey, should we do the bit where we actually remember to, like, introduce the show and say what show number it is?
0: This is Social Media White Noise. I am Andrew White.
1: Wow, he's doing the whole... You know, staring Dun. intently into my eyes and, and saying he is Andrew White Whilst I am Nick aka Loudmouth Man Butler You're listening to Social Media White Noise episode possibly 97 It's the new media whinges.
0: It is and uh, we're in a slightly interesting place today Would you like to tell the viewers and listeners It's a fascinating place
1: Okay so so I'm breaking another rule today
0: I thought we were going to say I'm breaking wind for a minute
1: and There we are we are in Battle Quest Games. Mm. It is not a cafe, mm. but Battle Quest Games in the Carfax in Horsham provides table areas for customers to sit down. And play through some of the board games that are available on the shelf to our left. Your right, completely irrelevant if you're listening to the podcast. As you can see I'm
0: holding my right hand out there. he's loads of games, and things.
1: Battlecross Games runs a number of uh, social events, both ba- you know Magic the Gathering and Pokemon tournaments at the weekends, mm-hmm. board game nights, role playing nights. And given that I feel that board games are having a renaissance not only because of the work of Will Wheaton and Felicia Day on Tabletop, mm. the Geek & Sundry show on the YouTube channel Geek & Sundry um, but the the sort of renaissance of board games and gaming I feel is, is almost bringing full circle the the desire to, to have that social aspect in gaming that we get through multiplayer games you know, things like Minecraft and first-person shooters and online gaming Um, And we get that social aspect in our social networks. And it it seems to be sort of coming full circle to say, well, let's gather around a table and and set out a few drinks and and put down a game and play it. And it doesn't mean that you have to understand how to play Jim Rummy or poker or bridge. Board games Mm. are making a comeback. That's my... That's my 2013 to 2015. That's the thing that's going to be cool. And it's because gamification, the the art of making things into games, is extremely old. And there are no older games than some of the games that we can see here, from both Dungeons & Dragons to Carcassonne to King of Tokyo and Munchkin.
0: And interestingly, um, about a week ago, my my son, who uh, is now... Uh, is he fifteen? God, that's terrible. Is he fourteen or fifteen? He's going to kill me for not listening to this podcast.
1: You're the dad. You're not. going to kill me. Their he's bigger ages. than me now.
0: Um, but anyway, he was—he's the ultimate geek. He, well, he's a gamer. He's an Xbox you know, On the, he's just—and
1: he inter- spends all, all of games. his time he's
0: gaming sat. They sat on them. Xbox with and his mates. And we went up there a week ago, and he was sitting on the floor with his mates playing Dungeons and Dragons on a board. Couldn't believe it.
1: It's a, uh, it's. It's a strange sort of, um, it's, it's this sort of strange aberration that I think is actually just the continuance of people want to be social. It's mm. half the, one of the reasons we did this with going to social spaces like cafes and so forth was to get together in a cafe and sit down mm. and have a conversation. And that's what people are doing in having the board gaming events. Mm. So having a venue like Battle Quest Games and um, the chap who owns it. Originally started with an online community. Started with an online presence. He had a warehouse down in um, down in parts of Horsham, and it was. he got his orders through he'd make the deliveries into Horsham and eventually he opened a shop Mm. now he has a shop in the central town that has good footfall enables people to come in people can come down and see the shop but also if they come around the back of the shop there's tables laid out to look at a game and say how does that game play and you get the opportunity to take it off the shelf and um, if he has the game available on the on the set here you can lay it out and have a game see what it's like
0: right Right, so just very briefly what are we talking about today Nick we've got a few things lined up and we've got one what? that I want to sneakily insert.
1: Oh, I, I, I sort of think that the... That's the bishop's
0: head to the well,
1: painter. We sort of mentioned about your, your son being an avid sort of Xbox gamer yeah. and, and you know game console development and so forth. Will the PC ever RIP? Um, the PC's not dying. In fact, in fact, outside of companies like Steam, mm. who are looking to propose their own sort of console, we're seeing this, this continual... So, bubbling away of the PC market that says it's not going to go away, it's not going to die, Mm -hmm. irrespective of how many iPads Apple can sell and how many devices Android can push out there, people will buy PCs for the purpose of gaming, workflow, the social aspect of staying in touch with the internet, or Mm. just simply as a home theatre system that can expand what they can operate at home. And the article that we're linking to here Suggests that whilst desktop sales have slowed because manufacturers are letting design stagnate, the need for a comfortable machine you can work on will not go away. And I think this is a it, this is a exploratory article. This is about saying where are we at with the development of PCs? Because yeah, I mean they were beige boxes and now they're black boxes and then they're desktop boxes and then they're mm. set top boxes and then they're micro boxes and what they are in a sense of you get a keyboard, you get a mouse, you get a screen, you get the unit that you can plug in, you can build, you can grow it, or you might not. You might build one off the shelf and never do anything with it, or you might custom bespoke it and put a graphics card in. All of those features about the PC are the same features about a PC that we have had in the last 20 years. Okay. Nothing's changing in that regard. Okay. So where's the evolutionary aspect? Will it be well, Steam? All that's happened is, is it's... Is it, is it...
0: Exploded in terms of diversification. The phone I have in my pocket is a PC. The laptop you have there is a personal computer. Yeah. The the the, 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 the nice tablet you got is a personal computer. They've just diversified. The okay, Problem I'm, is, we haven't got the beige default beige. No, okay, yes. But it's what not a personal, a personal computer?
1: computer because you cannot open up your phone and customize it. You cannot open up your phone and change radically change the operating system upon it. So the the yeah. General computational device mm. that we have in a personal computer environment. Yeah, the, the functionality of what's on your phone is, in, is in essence, what we can do with PCs. Computational power is there, mm. but your ability to take your phone, strip it to bits, choose what you want to put inside it, and put it back together again—very no, minimal. I mean, you can yeah, bespoke okay. stuff and you can read stuff, but you can't really. So
0: we're talking about something that isn't wrapped in, in a in a brand. That, that stops you from getting into it physically.
1: Exactly. Yeah. How do you change the vision of what a desktop machine? So is? So, where do you
0: see this in two years? You're a your visionary. Right? Where do you I, see the landscape Okay, two
1: years? I, I keep coming back to this: the Steam Box in Valve, who are a uh, a software development company who are responsible for a multi for a you know a fairly popular. PC, Mac, and now Linux platform called Steam, mm. which is a marketplace. It's like an app store. Fact, it's, a it's a gaming a platform. App store. Well, it's not as much a game platform. Think of it like an app store that's okay. popular for gamers. Right. And the advantage of this app store is that with your user account alone, you can go from PC to PC to PC and then download and install your apps, your games that you've bought to that PC. Mm. So it, it's sort of it's the DRM that that people want even if it's not the one they deserve. Mm. And this DRM is, is such that people don't mind it so much. It's not as intrusive as other DRM products. Now, mm. what the guys at Valve are aware of is that as Microsoft move with Windows 8 to implement more stringent control over rights management, that will impact on what Valve can do with their product as well. It's a licensing question. So, what is their approach to this? Well, they're looking at, can they make Steam and Steam products work in a Linux environment Mm -hmm. and if they can make it work in a Linux environment if they can make it work in an open source environment they can do that which Apple have already done which is to leverage the huge amount of of smart application development experience that's out there in Linux developers for the benefit of building an operating system that could drive the Steam console Mm -hmm. now i genuinely believe that when Steam are going to look at the console, they're not going to step away from some of the functions that make Steam gaming different from Xbox gaming or um, you know Apple gaming. They're gonna they are gonna want to allow you to do things like change the graphics card, change the amount of memory you have. So mm. will they be selling a console that will be a tightly locked down box like Xbox do mm. um, or like Sony does or Wii does or will they potentially start looking to make a more modular PC that is consumer-friendly in the component transaction so that you can pull in and push out those items. Will they do it? That's one direction I can see happening. Steam will come along. And there's already a product out there from a company called XI that is like called the Piston, and people are suggesting that that's the Steam console. Okay. Uh, as I see it, there's. this is going to be about providing... Uh, people with a box with more modular components wow. that can slot in and slot out as they need them. which changes behaviour. That changes, changes behaviour. Okay. You can upgrade to a certain level. So there. you
0: might have a programming Cause, slot cause that you're pushing that allows you
1: to... The core functionality of any PC is the main board, the system yeah. board with the CPU. Mm. And then all you've got to do to slot in is graphics, memory, and hard drive. Right, right. Mm. And if those three bus components are yeah. as simple as plugging in a USB drive... yeah. You can change up the nature of how you can build the components. So you take something like the Lightning specification for data transfer; that yeah. can transfer video, and you start building that into the main data bus for both.
0: So you now hard plug in your hard disks, you now plug in your memory, you now plug yeah. in various other. Modules. And you buy the
1: components that you want, and Steam mm. licenses it all. Out and those there. each of
0: those components could be locked down completely. They could be, but you can swap and change them as you wish. Mm. But you don't
1: want to get into the scenario you saw with Xbox, where uh, three hundred and twenty gigabyte hard drive for your Xbox costs mm. six times the market value right that's what they need to avoid yeah so that, that'll be the challenge for them but where will PCs be going I don't think PCs a lot of people say oh we'll stop buying PCs now we buy laptops for the home mm. well you do but do you know what there's this large market in gaming mm. and that market for gaming won't go away and the market for being able to specialise or customise your PC environment will not go away mm. you know, and people will buy laptops but laptops do not make great home theatre systems so that won't go so these mechanisms are the reasons why a lot of people I mean I I can see it ourselves that we have laptops for our our kids and they've got the hand-me-down laptops Mm. but I begin to realise that well maybe I need to have a specialised PC with a monitor and graphics card that can play more advanced games that the kids can also play on that will be in the living room but still out the way
0: yeah
1: that will be the challenge of parenting in the next 10 years from my perspective
0: Okay, can we just uh, slot yep. another quick story in here?
1: Um, yes. I'm interested in what
0: happened with Orange. Was it in France and Google?
1: Yeah, this is the link that I couldn't find that we just. I, yeah, I now it you it to tweeted this, didn't no, you? I shared it on Google+. You shared
0: it on Google Plus, right? I saw it
1: in my reader. Yeah. I plus one it in my reader and shared it to Google Plus, and yeah. we're back to the classic problem with Google Plus, which is finding stuff that you've created. It's not like Google Reader was, mm. where we could assemble the articles quite quickly because I can comment on them. Can't Mm. find this. In France, and you'll forgive me, I can't see the story in front of me, but in France, the internet service provider, in this case, Orange, have managed to insist that suppliers of information to their clients pay to go across their network. This is sender pays. Mm. At the moment, with the internet, sender pays doesn't exist. It's the thing that confused confused your auntie 20 years ago. It's like, how can you be talking to somebody in America and it costs no more than your local phone call? Mm. That doesn't make any sense. Mm. Why aren't they charging you to call America? It's like, well, because I'm not paying the bill. I'm only paying the bill local to my telephone line Mm. and my internet service and everything else after that is free. Mm. Now what they're saying is, well, you pay the bill for your telephone line, you'll pay the bill for your internet service provision, Mm. and now... Google, if they want to talk to you, will also have to pay the bill to be available, as if they were a television channel. It's like paying a license to broadcast. This is a mechanism by which oh. the internet service providers are saying, okay. if you want to broadcast over our network, you have to pay to be on ha- here." Have Google ends.
0: agreed to pay Orange money?
1: And I don't know. As I as I read no, at the time, know. they had okay. they had at the time there was an agreement put in place that sender pays would be in place, and that a um, Google and certain other. Um, vendors would be paying Orange for the privilege of providing Will this be the
0: first time this has ever happened?
1: I believe this is... Yeah, actually, as I understand it, this is the first time it's happened. It's certainly a break for net neutrality. It's, this is the thing that we keep saying must not happen. Because so, as this happens, it gets...
0: I mean, in my mind, Google should have just turned around to Orange and say, uh, we're not paying you anything, block us. Yes. Uh, and then... They would have suffered the backlash from their users. Yes,
1: they absolutely should have. And why didn't they? Why is, you know? Yeah, what, this is the worrying what, thing. The conversa- what is the other conversation? That's been, going on? What's that we're been not going seeing? on?
0: What's the brown envelope been passing backwards and forwards?
1: And I, I do wonder, um, from time to time, mm. uh, when I look at how the internet works, uh, and I realise that it's in the interests of people like the um, International Telecommunication Union, the ITU. Um, and other broadcasting operators to break the neck of how the internet operates, because at the moment your traditional broadcaster is penalized because if they want to broadcast, they have to pay a license to get over the air, and they also have to pay to be in the slots so they have to pay a certain amount of money to be there and so they then also have to pay for the material and the, you know, the, the, the content they want to have to mm. so broadcast and those things to send to their subscribers. So they're feeling a little bit hard done by because other content creators on the internet aren't having to pay in order to reach the subscribers.
0: Right, well, and I've got on the line Eric Schmidt, the executive chairman of Google, who's just, just going to... Eric, is a... a Wikipedia page. <laughs> i invited invite to come on the show if he wants to talk to us about it. You have a
1: Wikipedia... I know that he listens to the show. You know, there's a, a good comment I saw from somebody that said, my work is now so specialised I can no longer use Wikipedia to look it up.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's quite a good measure, actually. Yeah, um, so well, OK, shocking. I mean, what's going uh, it, to... It is, oh it is,
1: it is uh, shocking. Will it get knocked down? It's certainly a step backwards. And the only thing that can happen is... If it continues as an attitude, then other internet service providers may decide that they have the right to start charging. Now, this all then sort of begins to lead you to wonder, hang on, Google are already running out their own fibre network in America. This isn't a toy idea. They're quite successfully running out one gigabit fibre networks. Okay. Google are providing their own Wi-Fi and, and mobile carrier service. You know, Google, if Google turned around and said, that's fine, you can do all that, but that just means that we now have permission to start competing with you mm. because we're also paying you for the privilege of being there. Mm. We can also then pay for the privilege of setting up our own service, mm. which they then do. They then mm. don't charge anybody else to go over their network because they get the benefit of being a search environment for mm. that network. Mm. And then everybody signs up to the Google Internet Service Provider. And then Google have the end-to-end link on what the world is interested in looking at. Now that's
0: is that not also slightly scary? scary.
1: <laughs> it's scary, but if they're doing, if what they're doing is not interfering with content delivery from one end to the other end, do we care? At what point can we care? Mm. The, the, the point is, is that this this genie is out of its bottle and. And Pandora's box on this has been opened for all of the media companies. This is not going to go away. But in the meantime, the different machinations of governments and and authorities to take back control over broadcasting Mm. is frustrating. Just frustrating. Okay, let's Uh,
0: leave that because we're just both going to. probably hyper rant uh, just before we talk about um, you should
1: have a rant Andy no one ever gets to hear you having a good rant
0: well I do I've ranted in a slightly more subtle way than you just before we talk about uh, data caps and things can we just, yeah, just very apply very that quickly burn, quickly burn, lotion Bird
1: lotion. <laughs> burn lotion now uh, burn being lotion burn lotion burn lotion yeah all right. Okay, alright um,
0: just before we talk about data caps can we just mention briefly that we have no sponsors we have no sponsors oh we have no, no sponsors. sponsors yes
1: oh we have no sponsors we have no sponsors for today mm-hmm. that's partly my fault I should probably go out and ask for some sponsors well no no like,
0: to Nick's credit Nick is always the one that has gone out and gotten them. so you know well done to you Nick I, mean, I know you had a lot on your plate recently so you know it's not a problem but um, if there's anyone out there who wants to sponsor us thank you very
1: much Andy thank you for that <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so there's two ways you can either sponsor us by going to the donate link yeah, click on the donate button or if you are a company you know the king of shaves the e-buyers the scriveners out there and, and, mm. and you think that getting your product at Future Copyright getting your product mentioned oh, yes. on, this webs- mm. on this website in this podcast into the ears of, of our few listeners is meaningful to you then do drop us a line because we are always happy to consider new sponsors apart from possibly Orange <laughs>
0: <laughs> what would you say if Orange phoned you up next week said hi Nick or hello Nicholas we would like to sponsor the shoe <laughs> I don't know why I did French then. Is that because it was, was, was in, that French? Yes, that was it embarrassing. In that, Bonjour, was just, Mr. that was Mr. Baudelaire. Let's, let's not, this is all a let, let
1: us never go there again. <laughs> which is how <laughs> I would respond to the question. Let us never go there again. Let, data is, caps. Speaking of, well, speaking of data caps, that was good, so I've well, ruined
0: your segue, haven't
1: I? You, you have. You've yeah. ruined the segue because not going there again. I was actually going to talk about BitTorrent oh. launching a syncing service. Now that's not to say that BitTorrent is launching a service that is rapidly failing. Um, no. This is about sync. So. Here's the here's the, here's the here's the thing that frustrated me. Microsoft have pulled live. Mesh. They've pulled away one of the services that was just... Genius. So you could... Okay, we're familiar with things like Dropbox. You Danger, drop it into ramped, the cloud.
0: head.
1: drop things into the cloud. But Dropbox, oh, here's five gigabytes. Or so we aim to give you two gigabytes. Do you know, my my lifestyle is 50 gigs and more at the moment. I do not have space for two gigabytes of data. This is my friend, Nick Bugley. He has a 50-gig lifestyle. And, and, and Mega comes along, and Mega's fantastic. And it says, here's 50 gigs. But by the way, we're limiting you as to how many gets and puts you can can utilize through our system because we want to control how much demand is made through the system. It's like, well, this is okay. So I had Live Mesh set up. and Microsoft's Live Mesh ran on Mac and it ran on Windows. And what I could do with Live Mesh was I could point at a bunch of folders in one set of machines Mm -hmm. and they would be duplicated across all the other machines, irrespective of how much data I was using. Mm -hmm. In fact, they used local data, so it didn't really matter. It just works. Mm. It was fantastic. And and then they went, oh, but we're pulling that because people weren't really interested in that. And we now want to offer you SkyDrive. SkyDrive will entitle you to five gigabytes of storage. And By the way, doesn't do the same trick that Live meshed it. So they've basically removed all the useful features from Microsoft's Live components. I mean, they're they're stripping out Live Essentials for Windows 8, and it's, it's, it's a travesty. It's the travesty that I hope they fix in Windows 9. But along comes BitTorrent. And they are offering a syncing service mm. to synchronise folders between your machines. So they're offering the functionality that Live Mesh was offering.
0: This is BitTorrent, of course, that has been demonised by this the BitTorrent music industry.
1: is that is demonised left, right and centre. Now, this mm. isn't for the purpose of saying... Uh, OK, so you could potentially utilise this in the same way that Live Mesh was utilised or SkyDrive and Google... Uh, iCloud and Dropbox and so forth, um, Google Storage and go. So it may become that product as well. But one of the things we're looking at is will this be the will this be the product that answers the question for me as to how I can take all of my music, all of my videos, all of my photos, and all of my documents, mm. and make sure there's always a consistent copy across all of my platforms. Now I have discovered that um, the first thing I looked at was my music because. Mm. I'm fairly eclectic in my taste and they range range quite wildly in all sorts of places. Mm. Um, and I had a look at what I could do with iTunes and I realized that, well, iTunes wasn't going to work because I couldn't use it on multiple devices in multiple places. It wasn't going to work on Linux and so forth. So that wasn't the go. I had a look at the Amazon product, but Amazon was limiting me to... Uh, a specific file size, I could load up so many tracks, but the amount of tracks that I could load up was like you know you mm. could load five thousand tracks, mm. so I could put a very limited amount so my i hadn't i had you know I have like twenty thousand tracks and they were just never going to allow me to do it and I then discovered Google Play had capacity for me to upload basically you know up to 20,000 tracks, which, was, mo- which mm. was far more in capacity than the tracks that I had. You know, I was up at 12,000 tracks or so. Forth. So I could get my whole library into Google Play. Mm. But Google Play provides a, a web browser by which I can then listen to my tracks. So okay. I can listen to them everywhere. Yeah, I can pick it up on my Nexus 7. Mm. I can download the music again anywhere I go. So now when mm. I buy music, I load the music into Google Play straight away, and then the music is available through all of my devices.
0: Okay, so you're streaming... Music, admittedly your own music, because you have purchased it... Yeah, I purchased music. ...from the
1: web. Yeah, I purchased music. Sometimes I even purchase music before it's available. However... Well, what about um, the Digital Economy Bill? Why not you get caught by that, Nick? Uh, this is it. I, I'm using everything in in pursuance of exactly what my rights are to do as an owner of that mm. content mm. so it's my content being synced and, and I'm not sharing my content with anybody else it's just my music my digital content so it just made me realise well maybe what I need to do is maybe use Flickr for my photos mm. and then set something up to download all the photos off Flickr so it uploads to Flickr and then downloads from Flickr <coughs> so you've
0: got a backup
1: so you create the backup but you also create the backups on all machines and mm-hmm. then well I've done that what do I do for video why don't I have private YouTube so I upload all my videos into YouTube. So I have an application to just upload things into YouTube and other applications elsewhere that download them from YouTube. Why don't I distribute my cloud implementation and then have a mechanism to share that cloud implementation back to all the machines so that I get the changes running it? That only then means I've got my documents. And that's what Dropbox is for. Because if your documents is now, are now less than a few gig, mm. that's fine. You use Dropbox without synchronization. Mm. Problem solved. Will it work? Ask me in a year's time when I've lost all my data and I'm crying into my coffee. <laughs>
0: Okay. Um, let's... But what
1: might stifle it? What might stifle our ability to do that is... Right. Data caps, because as we all know, the thing about being online is internet service providers like to tell you how there's terrible congestion online. It's important that we all use our fair share. So, we think it's important to tell you that if you're all using our internet service provider, you uh, you our internet service, you should never be downloading more than a few gig, three gig, four gig. So, they try to sell you this concept of scarcity of data. It's false scarcity. And it turns out, the link provided, that this is basically all a load of rubbish and and not quite true and as much as many of us have already known this in the past conversations out in Torrent Freak uh, are talking about the fact that uh, these caps are only because the companies instead of taking their profits Mm -hmm. with all of the tax avoidance that's quite legal Mm -hmm. and utilising those profits to reinvest in their own architecture have been trying to squeeze every last cent out of that architecture So instead of creating something that people would want to flock to, Mm. and as a result you wouldn't have to squeeze out the money because you'd just have a complete new collection of people coming on board all the time, Mm. instead of increasing the architecture and allowing people to use what's available, they didn't invest in increasing the architecture and made sure that people were using less of it but paying more to do so, Mm -hmm. and still not investing in the architecture. So the technology is now run ahead. You know, smartphone data usage is just going through the roof. Well, it's causing problems, isn't it? And Sometimes it's causing problems. Now we're yeah. going to see that it's worked. I mean, this work. This is one of the reasons I, I recently switched from O2 to GIFGAF as a mobile phone provider. What's the difference? Well, with, okay, O2 and GIFGAF runs over the O2 network. Mm. The O2 network and mobile provision, they all give me a gig of, well, they give me 500 meg a month, and then mm. for another £8 a month, I get a gig. Mm-hmm. And I was always going over that limit. Right. And I was going over that limit consistently, and they were like, "Oh, you can pay a bit more. You have to bit or slow your connection down." Gift for ten pounds a month less than I'm paying with O2 mm-hmm. Give me unlimited data, right? And give me two hundred and fifty minutes of talk time, and it's twelve pounds a month.
0: Okay. And it do you works think they're like going to keep smartphone. doing this, or do you think it's just the thing to get the? Well, on board? I think
1: I think the thing about Gift Gaff offering this is, from their perspective, they know that data is more important than voice. Mm. And they understand that people are using data mm-hmm. and that data doesn't really have a cost. So if you're building your network out with a view to implementing data as a priority, and we've talked about this before, data will always be more pro- mm-hmm. will, will be a greater priority than voice. As a result, you're going to see companies focus more on that. And the companies that will gain popularity are the ones that make data not the challenge. Well, we've seen this in the internet service providers. Remember when Red Hot Ant was the first free ISP you could dial up on an 0800 number and get onto the internet for nothing right I
0: didn't do, know that do you then. remember that it was no, years ago no.
1: you, could, you know it was free server Mickey if I out. had known you then free server coming out and there was Red Hot Ants and it was an 0800 number and people flocked to it people should, because people were quite happy to put up with the advertising mm. from Red Hot Ants to get mm. free internet people will take free content if the interruption that you put in order to pay for that content does not get in the way of the experience mm. that's where they will go Meanwhile, we see the continual lack of investment on the internet locally. We see a continual lack of of investment on the internet in mobile phone operators. And there's a whole creation of the idea that people are using too much data and it's really terrible. This is bullshit. This is rubbish. People want to use as much data as they can. this This is not a resource like oil or like water. We cannot run out of data. And whilst we might have bandwidth utilization, that is only because we haven't implemented good policies to avoid implementing bandwidth policy. It's just a lack of investment in something which isn't real. Stop being morons about this topic.
0: Nick, in the history books, <laughs> people will go, in 2013, Nicholas Butler said, and then they'll recite that speech, he did look a bit like Lincoln from the film Lincoln as he was saying it. but he had like a beard and a hat. He'd just like... You know... Anyway.
1: This isn't a real thing. Stop trying to make people pay for something that isn't real and start investing in the real things like the architecture that's there to support the stuff that you're trying to sell us.
0: Gentlemen, this is the beginning of the future of the internet. Okay,
1: Let's get Howard Hughes in. What would he do with the internet? That's it. One more thing. Have we one done one more thing? We have, haven't we? One more thing, You're we're right. all the way through. What's the one more thing? The one more thing mm. Bitcoins, because it wouldn't be a, t- a show without us talking about Bitcoins. So you did mention Bitcoin earlier, because I was getting Bitcoin mixed up with BitTorrent. Bitcoin and BitTorrent. <laughs> Bitcoin, there's a Bitcoin app that's now available it, yes. for your iPhone that lets you run a Bitcoin wallet in your iPhone. So your wallet, your, your iPhone becomes a Bitcoin your wallet? Your iPhone becomes a Bitcoin wallet. Yeah, that's great. Is it free? Because Is it free? Actually, I haven't had a look at the app at all because I've got Nexus 7. Anyway, but the whole point about this is now we've got... So, hang on. If I've got a Bitcoin wallet and I've got a Bitcoin phone and I'm in a shop and they're offering me Wi-Fi and they say you can pay by Bitcoin.
0: Yeah.
1: Well, hang on a moment. That means that I can go send money from my home wallet to my phone wallet so I've got money like I have in my wallet. You know, if I lose my wallet, that's the money I've lost. So you can swap between wallets as well you can swap money between wallets okay, and then nice. of course what you can do is then pay for th- so now you've got the situation which instead of the money being on a card your card gets lost and your bank says that's your fault and you're not having any of the money that's taken out of your account Yeah, that doesn't happen because it's all on your phone
0: but now if your phone gets nicked if
1: your phone gets nicked you basically say well I'll change the passwords and details on my other wallets and that's, I, that's stuff I'm under control and I'm responsible for all that no so banks you
0: compartmentalise your wallets you
1: compartmentalise the yeah. wallets in iPhone and in yeah bitcoin and this is a continual growth of bitcoin and we were talking about this who wrote last is this, year is this
0: the app that's been on a for ages and it was rubbish and now they've made it better because there has there has been one for
1: a while i don't know about I mean, the app it's not, it's for the iphone rubbish. but this is this is this is all so about it's, an, bitcoin. it's android isn't it you just said no iphone it's I- an O-S. iphone iphone okay right there have been apps for android that's a different conversation right This is the first iOS one. And this is important because Bitcoin is not going to go away. Bitcoin is like the sender pays conversation for governments. There's the desire to have the control over those mechanisms. And then there's people who are just saying, well, we're going to skirt around that. And in the same way that people eventually skirt around the mechanisms of of tax and tax avoidance by basically, you know, nudging the nose and, you know, cash in hand and nobody worries about it, Mm. Bitcoin will be that mechanism that has governments going, like, how the heck are we going to tax this?
0: Well, we better go then, Mick. I think that's the end of it. We better make um, a runner. We can have that conversation about that bank we're going to start, Butlers and White.
1: I, I, actually there's a, there's a fairly there's a, there's a weird conversation I had on the Gatwick Express mm. earlier this month from a chap who is uh, who actually runs a few banks right? and he's, he's uh, he works uh, with merchant banks and so forth and he, and he also helps establish the sort of principles and regulations in banks and he's looking at setting up a whole new bank from a virtual infrastructure to say there's no reason for banks to have people in at all And then I mentioned Bitcoin and he went...
0: Really? (laughs) And it's like, yeah, this is what everyone's looking at. Watch this space. Something's going to happen. Either Bitcoin's going to grow and take over the world or it's going to suddenly disappear. Very mysterious. Bitcoin
1: is going to be the um, transactional infrastructure that will help power IPv6. That's my prediction.
0: With that amazing statement from Mr. Lincoln Butler, we shall... Leave it. I wish I'd And we'll see Lincoln you next it, huh? time. This is Dr. Pod spelled out as you would expect it. Not Dr. pod but D-O-C-T-O-R-P-O-D. And
1: this is Nick, a.k.a. Loudmouth Man Butler. And don't forget, visit social media, whitenoise.com. Find the donate button. Click on the donate button. We love the coffees. We appreciate your comments. And most of all, we apologise if we forget to open the link in a new window.
0: And I mustn't forget to take a picture this time of our venue. Goodbye. Goodbye. Uh-huh. Thanks for listening to Social Media White Noise, brought to you by Andy White, aka Doctor Pod, and Nick Butler, aka Loudmouth Man. Please visit www.socialmediawhitenoise.com where you can leave comments, listen to the show straight from the web page, and subscribe for free. Email us at ulot at Follow us on Twitter, Doctor Pod and Loudmouth Man. We'd like to thank the coffee shops of Sussex social media and technology, without whom this show would not be possible. See you soon.
1: Peace.